Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and just a, a quick program note, there will not be a guest uh, appearance the uh, second half of the show. Uh, this is sort of coming down to winding up the end of the season, so I haven't booked any uh, special guests for the rest of the season just because of the holidays coming up and so forth. Um, so we're just doing some special coaches' corner panels to fill out the last few dates tonight and uh, the next two dates. Uh, which will be in uh, December, December 7th, and December 14th will be the last shows of 2023 as we get a little bit of a break and get to take off some time uh, in order to rest up and enjoy uh, some family and friends and all of that good stuff. And then uh, Golf Talk Live will fire up again uh, back in early part of February uh, after an extended break as we get ready to launch the new schedule. And we're going to have some changes next year, so I think I'm pretty excited about that. And then uh, Coach's Corner, as always, will sort of fire up again uh, early March, and uh, we'll give you, uh, before the end of this year, I'll give you some specifics, uh, more details in the last two shows. But uh, always excited to be here, and as always, uh, we are live every Thursday evening, normally from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on the blogtalkradio.com network. But tonight we're probably going to be cutting a little bit short, back uh, quite a bit short. Uh, we might just skip over the hour mark uh, just a little bit. But uh, i got two great guys on the show. I'll introduce them here in just a moment. But remember, you can always tune in uh, live here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Just uh, type in blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just go to the uh, site and type in golf talk live in the search key, and it'll take you to the main page. And the live broadcast is always front and center at the top. But for some reason, if you can't, you can visit that link a little bit later on. Uh, it is recorded as well, so the recorded version will come up in the on-demand section. Just skip down the page a little bit, and you'll see all of the previously aired shows. And the most current, uh, including tonight's, is always at the top of that list. So you can go back and listen to tonight's show if you come in a bit late or you're not able to tune into the live broadcast, and you can listen to it when it's convenient for you. Lots of other great ways, which you'll hear at the end of the broadcast as well, to tune in other different podcast sites that you can pick up the show as well. So anyways, glad everybody could join me here uh, tonight uh, live, and I'm going to introduce the guys here, and we're going to get into this evening's discussion. I think it's going to be a good one. Stick around and, and listen to what these guys are going to tell you and how you can help your game for not only the remainder of this season, but as you get ready to work towards next year as well. So first up, of course, is my good buddy, Clint Wright. Uh, he's a 30-plus-year member of the PGA, uh, also one of the partners of TGM Golf, and TGM is a, go- uh, golf, excuse me, is a big proponent of the R3 approach. Uh, and I consider him to be uh, really one of the top uh, guys in the short game. He's really focused on that and also the third shot, and he's talked about that uh, many times here. And a good friend of mine and a favorite here on Coach's Corner panel. Uh, also on the panel tonight is uh, a new friend. Uh, he's been a new friend here for 
uh, just a little over a year and uh, always excited to have him on and uh, always brings a, a lot of great knowledge. He's been teaching this great game um, for 38 years. Uh, he's a former Golf Digest School general manager and a seven-time PGA Award winning uh, winner, excuse me, including the 2022 North Florida PGA Sections Patriot Award and also two North Florida PGA Youth Development Awards. Uh, Jim is currently a director of instruction at the Royal St. Cloud Golf Links in St. Cloud, Florida, and he's also a Golf Tips Top 25 instructor and contributor. And, of course, I'm talking about Jim Endicott. So, guys, uh, welcome to Coach's Corner. Glad to be here, Ted. Thank you, looking Ted. Looking forward to it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Looking Our, forward to being with you as well, Clint. All right. So, we're going to talk about, uh, I like to look at these as some easy golf swing tips to really help the overall game. And, Jim, I'm going to start with you first uh, this time, if you don't mind, and then, Clint, I'll pick you up on the, the next round. Um, this is a term that, uh, you know, we've heard of in golf, um, but believe it or not, especially our, our newer golfers are maybe not familiar, don't really understand what this means. But I think we want to always ensure that we accelerate through every shot you hit. Um, a lot of people, as, as you can attest to, and, and Clint as well, um, especially our new golfers, will tend to sort of hit at the ball and stop at the ball. They'll hit it, and then they'll just sort of stop and not really follow through. Talk about what it really means to accelerate through the shot. And for golfers that struggle with that, what are some things that you can suggest to really help uh, amplify that and ensure that they are accelerating through every single shot? Yeah, uh, that's a, a great topic there, and uh, thanks, Ted, for having me on. It's always a pleasure and joy to be here as part of the team. Uh, accelerating through the shot, <clears throat> I like to refer to that as uh, a finish to the golf swing or turning through to a finish in the golf swing. And oftentimes what happens, uh, particularly with newer players, is they get in their mind that, in order to get my golf ball to get into the air, to be kind of lifting the golf ball off of the ground. And so what that causes is they may make a wonderful backswing, and then as they start down to the golf ball, they kind of lean back towards their trail side and try to scoop or lift the ball into the air. And in doing that, their body hasn't had a chance to rotate through to face the target. And so it ends up being what we call a lack of acceleration or some call it deceleration. And uh, I like, again, to call it not finishing the golf swing. And so uh, the golf swing requires uh, two turns in the golf swing, one in the back swing and one in the through swing. And it's that one in the through swing that gets us to uh, gets us space and room for us to accelerate the club with our arms swinging. And so we need to unwind our body, and sometimes we call that turning the hips through with the torso following that to get our uh, our chest and our and our midsection looking at the target. And so as the golf club is working its way downward, we need the body to turn through. How can we accomplish that? What are some drills we can do? Well, one drill is, uh, is what I call a CAB or C-A-B, club above the ball. And in this drill, you're turning in the backswing 
and swinging the club to make you turn through to face the target, much like a a baseball player would swing a bat. Uh, you're holding the club uh, several inches above the ground, maybe even a couple feet above the ground, and swinging it much like a baseball bat. And it makes it easier for the player to get the realization of that body turning through to face the target. Another great drill, and and uh, Mr. Gary Player made this uh, very famous, and, and that is as you're swinging through the shot, to let your trail foot take a small step towards the target. And that, again, will get the body to unwind, making room for the arms to accelerate the club through the back of the ball. So, again, the lack of acceleration is more a lack of making enough room or getting the body to turn to face the target uh, to give enough space for those arms to have speed through the shot. Well said. And let me just follow up a little bit, Jim, on this, because there's a couple of things that come to mind for me. Um, what I see a lot of times happening is, you know, quite often we'll see uh, the golfers wind up into a good backswing uh, and they get loaded up on, and I'm talking about right-handed uh, golfers, so they're getting back on their, uh, their trail uh, leg, which would be their right in this particular case. So they're getting good weight shift there, but as they now come into the downswing, whether it's because they're not in proper sequence or they're not making the, the correct movements, um, they tend to start to spin out. They're not getting a good pivot going forward. And ultimately, as you said, they're sort of, uh, as they're unwinding, uh, they're not really getting that weight transfer onto the lead foot now, uh, and, and the arms are not swinging through. They're sort of hitting at the ball. So is that something that a lot of times that, that what, what's causing that? What's causing them not to shift that weight properly what is it step is they missing or is there something in the swing that they're doing incorrectly typically what you see where they're not getting that weight movement from their back uh leg trail leg into the forward uh, leg well i would i would uh correlate that to a sequencing of the arms and the body working in the right sequence of events uh if the hips are simply rotating swiftly through the shot and the arms aren't swinging, we end up with the hips working in a manner that we work against our lead leg and kind of are leaning mm -hmm. back as we, as we unwind. Right. But if the arms are working along with the hips, the only action that can happen is the torso will then continue to turn on top of the hips and that'll get the weight to, sh to transfer to that lead leg. So it's a matter of the timing of the arms and the hips working in the right sequence and or closer together and in unison versus the hips spinning and the arms lagging behind. And when they're lagging behind, the upper body lags behind and doesn't allow the, the weight to transfer to that lead side. Right, and the tips that you gave, the two tips, the references uh, that you gave uh, a few moments ago are certainly going to help them groove that, that proper feeling uh, and proper transfer. Um, so great job uh, there. I appreciate that. Um, Clint, I'm going to come on to you, and this sort of follows in a little bit, sort of piggybacking onto what uh, Jim just said. Um, and I, I, I phrased, this, or phrased this rather as not to be afraid to chase distance. And what I mean by that is, 
uh, again, because a lot of people are sort of hitting at the ball. They're not really uh, transferring maybe the weight properly. They're not accelerating through the shot, as Jim just talked about. Um, I think, really, um, some of the best shots I hit is when I, I really want to give it a good crank. And that doesn't mean I'm trying to over-muscle it or try to overpower it. There's a lot of factors that go on, and it can be everything from equipment, and it could be um, not maybe making a good center hit. So talk about some of the things if you want to help somebody really chase that distance. Everybody wants to get more distance, so how do they do that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of discussion about that these days, isn't there, about whether it's all the mm-hmm. equipment or the players or whatever. But, you know, I guess if I'm working with somebody that, that is looking for – you know, 10 or 15 more yards maybe. Um, you know, equipment is the first thing I would look at. I uh, had a gentleman not too long ago, had a brand-new driver um, that wasn't fit properly for him. I handed him just a, a normal driver, and he, he hit it 10 or 15 yards past the driver he just got fitted for. So his yardage and distance was, was a little physical, but mostly that his ego got the best of him and – he had a golf club just wasn't right for him, okay? Uh, so that's the first thing I, I tend to look for. Let me see your equipment. Uh, is it matching your club head speed? Can you load the shaft properly to get as much out of your equipment as you can? And if that looks okay, then we start looking at how do we develop speed. Uh, we all know that club, club head speed, ball speed off the face, that's all you hear about is how do I generate more speed, and most of the time what I see is that you have a person trying to create speed with effort. Uh, effort being what would be the layman's term, in my opinion, is tension. I'm going to get, when I start down, I'm going to try to muscle this, this club through there faster. I'm going to get my hips right. turning faster. I'm going to really go at it. In reality, that's creating a tension level that basically is going to slow their body and the club down, not speed it up. So I try to, to work the person all the way back down to the absolute, um, you know, bottom line as far as tension level is concerned. And one of the, the things that I will do for a person is I'll take a driver or a seven iron, it doesn't matter what you do, and I'll make a swing as easy as I can. I mean, literally one arm and it through the ball. And most of the time I use a 7-iron, and that's going to go about 115 or 20 yards. It's about as far as it's going to go. And I ask the person, where did that yardage come from? Where did the distance come from? And they'll give you all kind of answers like, well, it was the wrist action, it was the leg action, all kind of these things. But in reality, then I ask them, if we took that ball and went over and dropped it on the sidewalk, what's it going to do? And the answer is, well, it's going to bounce. So where'd the bounce come from? All kind of answers, impact, whatever. In reality, the bounce is in the ball. It's compressed. So in order for me to, to get 115 yards out of a 7-iron, I just need to move my body through the space as relaxed as I can, make impact, and the ball responds. Well, what I tell them then, I said, well, I hit my 7-iron about 150 or 155. So how much do I have to put in? I have to put in 35 yards, not the whole 155. And so they go, oh, okay. So then when you're hitting your next driver, I want you to swing for the extra yardage, not what you've got built in. 
and that's where the ball and the club and everything has to fit correctly. But once they get the grasp of it, they don't have to create the whole 250 yards. They'll tend to calm down. Their body relaxes. They start breathing a little better, and the club moves faster. And once they get the feel of that, it's much like getting the feel of riding a bicycle. Once you get the feel of it, you kind of got the idea. You have to experience it. And what I try to do is get them to calm down, understand they're not responsible for every yard. Their equipment is responsible for some of it. And if you can make right. solid contact with a relaxed impact area, you're going to generate as much speed as you can, that you can. That's it. We, we just can't have infinite <clears throat> amount of increase in speed. You know, I, I'm maybe six, five foot ten and a half, you know, and I'm only going to create so much arc and so much speed. And, you know, you see these, these young kids, they wind up on it and create a tremendous amount of club head speed, but, but they're moving it through the space very relaxed and it looks tensionless. And that's what we try to get people to do is looking for more yardage to understand that they need to drop down the tension level make a good total body swing through the space, and rely on their equipment for some of their yardage, not giving them the responsibility for the whole thing. You know, and that's a great uh, point. I have a follow-up, really. I'm going to ask both of you uh, on this uh, sort of line of thinking. Uh, but, but first I want to, you know, mention, I, you know, I reference these two players quite a bit uh, in, in some of our discussions. But, you know, you look at somebody like a Freddie Couples or uh, an Ernie Els. I mean, both big guys, both can generate a lot of club head speed, but it's very effortless. You don't see a lot of tension. You don't, in fact, you don't see any tension really in their upper right. body or any part of their body. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, during their day, now obviously by today's standards, you know, they're not going to be as long as some of the young guns that are out now, but they were some of the longest hitters during their time on the PGA Tour. So, you know, obviously it's not about muscling it through. It's a matter of proper sequencing and, and making the, the club do the work for you. My question is, and Clint, I'm going to let you answer first since this was originally your question. But, Jim, I want you to also chime in uh, as well. What I'm wondering is, you know, when you look back, you know, several years ago before a lot of the equipment, and I'm talking about the clubs in this particular case, um, you know, we've got much more forgiving uh, club heads now, the sweet spot has, has gotten a little bigger than over the years. Uh, the clubs are more forgiving now. Do you think in some respect that that has hurt a little bit? Yes, it, it makes for, you know, maybe not as, as bad mishits, but do you think that it's caused the players not to really focus as much on making good solid contact because they know that if they hit it up a little closer to the toe or even closer to the heel, because the clubs are much more forgiving now, they're still going to come off with a pretty decent hit, and as a result, maybe don't get the distance that they could get if they were making good ball uh, club uh, contact. I want to get your thoughts on that, and then, Jim, I want to get yours as well. You know, Ted, I, I'm not really sure that, that that would be the case. I, I think that that I want as forgiving of equipment as I can get. I, I can still hit it in the middle of the club, and it's going to respond. Um, you know, we we played a few few weeks ago with old wooden clubs heads, you know, set of old Hogan's. And, and it's interesting is that you, you can hit it okay, but those little misses, like you say, were real damaging to distance, right? right so, right. I, you know, 
maybe maybe somewhat with the I, I just don't see it being that big of an issue to be honest with you. I, I mm-hmm. think for the average player out there, they they get better response out of the miss hits, so moves it down to fairway. They have more fun. So as far as the game's concerned, maybe it's been a benefit. I think your best players, the 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 key level, you know, professional elite players are going to work on their swing to hit it in the middle of the club because they know the difference in what it feels like. So they're going to continue uh, to work as hard as they can to make solid in the middle of the golf club, square club face, to hit it down the line. I think that that one thing that's been an improvement, obviously we always talk about spin, is that the new equipment, particularly woods, just don't spin the ball like it used to. So they're going to be more accurate. They're not going to sideways as much. So they can swing a little harder maybe, and maybe they get the same amount of distance out of the slight miss hit. But I just got a feeling that your elite players are going to look for the middle of that golf club no matter how forgiving it is. Yeah, and I agree with that 100%. And, Jim, what I guess what I was asking really was, do you think that because of the advantages of today's equipment, not having to hit it just, you know, uh, you know, a bullseye right in the center of, of the sweet spot, that it it causes the players not to be as focused as, say, the, the elite players, as, as uh, Clint has mentioned. What, what are your thoughts here? Does that make any sense? Is it not really an issue? Um, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. I think uh, there's, there's some uh, – I would say some of this is, uh, is player-dependent in terms of uh, their goals their objectives, uh, and their skill set. I think that uh, players, regardless of whether they're an elite player or uh, mid to high handicap, if their goal and aspiration is to get their score as low as they can, they're going to strive to hit that golf ball in the center of the club face as much as possible. Uh, Because even though the golf club is more forgiving on the hit that is off center, it is equally uh, better performing when it's hit in the right location. Uh, right. I was hitting balls the other day on on uh, TrackMan, and when I when I hit it dead flush, it went a certain distance, and if I was a bit off, I lost five ten yards. Uh, there was yeah. a pretty significant change, and so. Uh, the consistency of hitting it in the center uh, will give us the consistency of the distance we're striving for, which gives us the ability to play better. So I think mm-hmm. that uh, just as the elite player is going to try to get it in the center, I think uh, players who have the aspiration to have low scores, and that's different than the player who wants to go out and just have some fun. Uh, and sure. those those players are all over the map that, there are those that want to hit it good enough so that I can go out with my buddies and have a skins game and have a couple beers on the golf course and have some fun. And then there's those who want to want to do that, but they also want to maybe win their club championship. And so the one who wants to win the club championship is going to still uh, strive for that uh, centeredness of contact. And the one that's just out there to have some fun, as long as it's good enough, I'm enjoying the game. Right. And yeah, I think and, and I, I agree. It so that they can enjoy the game more. You know, the, the miss hit is good enough that they can have just as much fun with the miss hits as they can with their, their pure one. 
Yeah, and, and, and I agree with both of you. I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, it depends on the level of the player, what their aspirations and goals are. Um, I, I guess what I was driving at was, and I wasn't trying to suggest that the players don't care. I just, you know, in their pursuit of more distance, a lot of players maybe um, because they are, you know, hitting it, you know, pretty decent without, you know, hitting it, as, as you point out, you know, Jim losing five, maybe to 10 yards, not hitting it, you know, in the bullseye. Um, that distance could be gained if they focused on making better center contact as opposed to relying on the, on the uh, development of the club to sort of, you know, get them by. But as you said, you made a, a great point, both of you, that uh, the better players are going to focus more regardless of, of the design of the equipment to still uh, try to get that center contact. So I was just curious to see if that was any sort of a factor as well uh, for some people that, you know, given the changes that have been made over the last uh, few decades, that if it wasn't as uh, ingrained, because, we, you know, when we played the old uh, Forge clubs, you know, from 20-plus years ago, uh, you had to be, you know, smack dab in the, in the sweet spot or, or you weren't going to get, uh, you know, a, a good result in, in many cases. So um, today's equipment obviously gives you a little bit more. Um, Jim, I'm going to come back to you because uh, it's your turn uh, to, to tee this up. Uh, using alignment sticks to check everything from the swing plane to uh, obviously alignment uh, is important. Um, what can people benefit from, obviously, those two things, but how can people make good use of those alignment sticks? I mean, obviously, they're going to come for lessons, and you're going to have that uh, available to them, but if somebody wants to do it themselves, what they sh- how should they be using it properly? Because I see people doing all kinds of stuff on the, on the practice tee, uh, on the range, and not always maybe getting the best. If you we're going to give somebody a couple of alignment sticks. What are some options for them to do and how can they use them to get the most feedback? Well, I think there's a number of ways they can use them. Uh, One and one of the ways we see used most often is as we've labeled them alignment sticks uh, to help them get themselves aligned properly. And when I say that getting the club face, aimed correctly and then aligning our body relative to the club in a manner that the body is aligned parallel to where the club face is aligned and so we end up seeing people put sticks down one close to the end of the golf club so they can see the face and one closer in towards their body so they can see the alignment of their body and and that's a great way to to work it and i like to put the the one out near the club in the direction of where I'm trying to, to send the golf ball. And then the one closer in is uh, parallel to the left as a right-handed golfer to that stick. And, and as we look at those, and it's depending on where the target is. Let's say that I'm uh, working with uh, uh, my driver and I'm looking at a target that's out there in the distance that's some 200 yards away, those sticks are going to look fairly close to aligned at that target, the same target. If you think about railroad tracks and you look down a railroad track, and the farther it goes away from it, the closer they seem to get to each other. And so if we look at standing to those sticks, the one out by the club head and the one near your feet, that's what a couple a couple feet difference. Uh, that's how far off of the actual target those sticks should be aligned. 
I see people take that one closer to their body and set it, and it appears to be five, ten yards left because they've heard that I need to be parallel left. Well, you're parallel left only a couple feet. So that's one use of the sticks. Another use of the sticks, mm-hmm. and I like to add a, a training aid called of a swim pool noodle. And if I'm one that I need to learn how to swing in a particular direction, I can stick that stick in the ground and put a pool noodle on it so that if I happen to strike it, I'm not damaging my club or risking injury. Uh, I could stick that in a way that would give me a visual of swinging the club down more from the inside. Or there's ways to show that, uh, as we talked earlier about getting the body to rotate through, we can put that uh, alignment stick with a pool noodle on it in a manner that if I don't turn through, I'll strike it. So it can help me to get the visual of turning through. Another way I like to use it is take two sticks and in the short game. I like to put one in the backswing area and one in the throughswing area. If we're working on distance control and we're trying to swing our backswing and our throughswing approximately the same size, if I put the stick vertically in the where the backswing is going and where the throughswing is going and I need to avoid hitting them, in other words, stop short of the chance of hitting them, I can now start to regulate how far I'm swinging that golf club and help myself to uh, learn how to control my distance in the short game. So there's a few different ways that the sticks, uh, alignment sticks can be used, not just for alignment or aim. Sorry about that. My apologies. I had muted my mic. Okay. Um, are we, yeah, there we go. Are we, are we, are we no, all we still here? Yeah, no. Yeah, we're on. No, that was, uh, by the way, okay. that was great, uh, Jim. Thank you for that. So what I was just going to add is I, I agree 100% with everything you said. And, you know, what I like to do, being a visual person, um, you know, I, I can certainly take that information in. You can, uh, you know, if you were instructing me or, or somebody else, uh, you know, some people can take that information. You can relay the information and understand that. But I like to, you know, set myself up visually, um, and that's where having some good alignment sticks out there on the practice tee uh, to help you get into some of those positions and help you uh, train yourself um, because when you're out in the golf course, of course, you don't have that advantage. You have to use other cues and, and things to, to do that. Um, so I, I like some of the suggestions that you made. I think if you want to really improve your overall game, then you have to make good use of tools. And alignment sticks are very easy because you can carry them in your bag. They're very easy. You can pop them in the trunk if you don't want to take them out in the bag. Uh, but you can take them with you and use them on the practice tee. And also pretty much most of your uh, golf instructors out there uh, use them for some of the things that you suggested and other things as well. So whenever possible, I think a visual aid is always optimal to have in your instruction and also have uh, in, in working to practice on your game. So well said. Um, you know, Clint, we, we touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, Jim talked about this with uh, about the sequencing and that, but a lot of people don't know how to and haven't learned how to really move the lower body in the golf swing. They tend to be very rigid, very stiff in their lower body, and it becomes a very upper body and, and arms-only swing. Um, how can we – what are some great tips maybe that you could give that really help people understand how to engage the lower body and how to move it correctly? Well, I, I think that you and Jim both would agree with this. And one of the things I've, I work with some full swing folks, 
um, recently and you begin to, to watch them and they don't quite understand where things start. And I asked them, I said, you know, where does every sport you've ever played start from? It starts from the ground up. So I try to get them to understand that they have to have proper footwork in order for their knees to work correctly, therefore their hips to work correctly. And we, we have these conversations about the angles your ankle and your knee are set in. And if you want your hips to rotate correctly, those angles of your knees have to relocate because your knees are vertical joints. They're going to, they're going to lift you up off the ground unless you turn them and relocate the angle. So I tried to explain to them, I said, in order for you to do that, you, you have to have footwork. Your, your ankle and your feet have to change their angular pattern in order for your knee to rotate uh, at a different angle, which then frees your hips up to turn, and uh, then the hip turn gets to the shoulder. You know that old song about the hip bone connected to the ankle bone? That's a true thing. I mean, it's all going to move together or it's not going to move at all. Uh, and so I really try to focus a person on understanding proper footwork. And, and I, I'll show them some videos of Sneed and Hogan and Nelson, the old guys, Nicholas Palmer with the left foot, is come, the left heel is coming off the ground, their backswing, to help them get the left, you know, to rotate the leg in a little bit to change that angle and then show them how they change that angle coming through. And then I show them some of the modern players, they don't lift the knee, the, the, the heel as much as they pressure their left toe and they pressure their right heel. So I work with a person, and I saw this just a video to, to give them credit for it. It's a, called Par 4 Success out of North Carolina. And I saw this video, and I use it a lot now, and it's a, it's a toe-to-heel drill. I want you to pressure your, your left toe and put your weight on your right heel, and we're going to go opposite coming through. And it's amazing how quickly they understand in order to do that, their knees have to move. I said, well, no, your knees don't, you don't have to make your knees move. They move because you're moving your, your feet. They work together. And so I try to get a person to begin concentrating on good footwork, which then allows their knees and their hips to work, um, I don't want to say automatically, but they will follow. They're never, your, the hips and the knees are never going to lead the feet, but your feet will lead your knees and your hips to be able to be able to fully rotate. And, and the thing that I try to get people to do is understand, look, you want to rotate into power, not away from it. So if I can get you to turn your knees and your hips, you're going to rotate in your backswing into a power position in order to release that power back through the ball. And if I can get their footwork working better, it just seems to me it makes it much easier to get them to understand their, their knee and their hip work, which I like Jim's phrasing of it's a sequence of events, not necessarily timing, but when those events happen. And uh, we have to be able to get the events going. It's kind of like a dance step. You can't get it in rhythm until you got all the steps. So if we can get the movement going, then we can begin to work on a better sequencing of the knees and the hips moving through along with the upper body to generate maximum power and speed. Well said, um, Clint. And, and you're exactly right. I think it's important uh, to get that. And, and the guys that you mentioned, Nicholas Sneed and, and Palmer and many of the others, you know, had really good footwork. Nicholas talked about that in, in his, uh, you know, uh, video that he 
uh, put together many years ago Correct. called Golf My Way, he talked about how important footwork was. And, you know, people overlook that. And I think, again, even older golfers try to emulate some of the younger golfers that they see. They don't see their feet coming off the ground in the same manner that you used to see a Nicholas or some of the older golfer, older time golfers. So they think, okay, I've got to lock everything up uh, because I can't, you know, I don't want my feet coming off the ground. But they don't understand, like you said, even though the younger players are not lifting their heel, their left heel as an example, uh, but they're putting pressure on that left toe. And so right. they're doing other things uh, to essentially accomplish the same thing, um, and they're able to still load up uh, in, in, a, in good fashion. Um, but also, again, these younger players have much more flexibility than, than you know, some of us out there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they're, they're able to get away with that. But, uh, no, you're exactly right. Footwork is, is extremely important, and I think it's, it's an, an overlooked area of the game. Uh, or misunderstood area of the game by a lot of uh, club golfers out there. They just don't know how to get the mm-hmm. footwork uh, uh, together correctly. So um, once we can get them stepping right, uh, and you know what, their partners might uh, enjoy their dancing a little bit better as well, as you pointed out. <laughs> they, so, they might, yeah. That, that could be very well true. So we're going to take a real fast break, and then we're going to come back on the panel and continue on our conversation. I've got a few more questions we're going to, Uh, Cue Jim up uh, with the next one here, but we'll be right back. Here's a quick message from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back. Uh, Just a quick um, addition to that before I bring uh, the panel back on and we continue our discussion tonight on helping all of you out there become better players. Uh, It is the season. We've got the holidays coming up here in just a few short weeks, but there's still time uh, to think of that special golfer in your family or maybe even a future golfer in your family. Golf Tips Magazine is a great publication uh, it makes a great gift as well, a great stocking stuffer. You can get it in print version or digital or both. Go to golftipsmag.com and check out some of your options. Time to get it and time for Christmas, so make sure you do that. Go to golftipsmag.com. Uh, it's a great publication and a lot of great tips uh, in there and a lot of great articles as well. So, again, go to golftipsmag.com and uh, think of that special golfer in your family. It makes a great gift, not only for yourself, but for somebody else as well. All right, I'm back with uh, both of my guests here on the Coach's Corner panel, Clint Wright and Jim Endicott. Uh, Jim, I think you're up, so we're going to go to our next question here. And this one here is, you know, I've I've talked to a lot of pros on the range, both in the PGA and uh, LPGA and and, uh, Epson Tour now uh, for some time. And this is something that they all have mentioned or talked about, um, and that is sort of to feel a pause at the top of their backswing. when you watch them swinging on TV, it doesn't look like there is one, but there actually is. Talk a little bit about that. Explain that, what we mean by that, and how that helps, in many cases, uh, having a smooth transition from your backswing into your downswing. Talk about the feel of the pause. Well, 
the feel of the pause, <clears throat> unless you're a, a Hideki, uh, is is really the action of change of direction from the backswing to the beginning of the downswing. And it has to do with that uh, that motion where in the backswing it's it's working around you and working at the top of the backswing you'll feel as though the club is working towards the target. And then as we begin to transition down and the lower body begins to unwind, that club has stopped going towards the target and now starts going away from the target and downward in the downswing. And so the the sensation is that when I get to the top, my upper body and my arms feel as though they've kind of paused while the lower body is beginning to make its uh, start of its unwinding, uh, as as Clint discussed. Um, And so I believe that pause is more of a sensation for the player. And as you said, we don't, as as the public, we don't notice a pause when they when they make that transition, but the player actually feels that pause. Uh, unless, of course, you're someone like a Hideki where he felt that if he held it there a little bit longer uh, at the top of his backswing, his sequence in the downswing uh, worked in a better order than if he allowed his upper body and arms to not pause at the top of the backswing. So his was a method of trying to get that sequence uh, in the right order in the downswing. Yeah, and and, and I think it's important because, as I said, talking with a lot of players, again, to the naked eye, as it were, when you watch a lot of these players on the practice tee or even, you know, if you get a good close-up of them, uh, you know, uh, hitting their shot, you don't really notice it. But what you do often see, Jim, with uh, many amateur players is – uh, sort of a snatching of the club going back and, a, you know, jamming the club going through. And there's really not – you almost don't even notice the transition. There's not sort of a subtle movement from one, uh, you know, uh, position to another. It's just a very quick jerky. So, you know, sort of – again, it's not an intentional pause, but it's a reaction of everything being in proper sequence. Um, it's not like it's a forced pause, but it's uh, really um, a result of proper sequencing. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. And I think what you're you're describing as the snatching or appearing that they they kind of jerk it back into the downswing and through swing is yeah. that the yeah. wrong action is occurring is is more of the issue versus they're actually snatching it. And what I mean by that is they get to the top and uh many players feel in order to generate power they have to have the shoulders and torso begin moving towards the ball and or towards the target and let the arm swing with that versus allowing the lower body to begin its rotation. And if that's happening, the upper body is actually kind of stalled out for a moment so that the arms mm-hmm. can let the, uh, the club drop from the inside. And so oftentimes – the upper body wants to go first, and now the arms can't drop from the inside, so they work outward and begin to work uh, out to in. And then the player tries to re 
direct that because they feel as though they're going left as a right-handed golfer and they need to get it down. So that's when it starts looking, uh, for lack of a better description, herky-jerky. And as you described it, snatching it, it, it's the sequence that, that causes that visual. And when the lower body is doing its thing in the right time and the arms and the shoulders and the torso are doing their job in the right time, then it looks smooth or Freddie Couple-ish or Ernie Els-ish or a slight pause feeling to the player, and things kind of flow in a more efficient manner, and that's when those golf swings look, as we described them, as effortless. Right. Yeah, I was. that's exactly the word I was going to use is effortless. When you watch these tour players, uh, male or female, you know, you, you go on the – I mean, I, I strongly encourage anybody, um, those that have never been to a, a, a top event um, or those that have, when you go to the range, really focus on watching the players, how effortless their swings are. I mean, you do not, with a few exceptions, you do not see uh, them muscling the ball. I mean, there's obviously some of the, as we mentioned earlier, some of these young guns look like they're just hammering it. But really, it's they've got their sequencing down, and yes, they're generating a tremendous amount of power. They've got a lot of strength, and they're pushing it through. But again, they're still in sequence, and there still is that pause, believe it or not, at the top. But I strongly encourage people to go to, you know, your uh, if you've got a PGA event or an LPGA event in your area, go there, even if it's just for the one day. Obviously, follow the players around when you have a chance, but go to the range in the morning when they're all practicing out there when they're, as they're coming through to their tee times and just watch how effortless their swings are. Watch how they sequence everything, and you'll see all the things that we're talking about here tonight. You'll actually, if you really pay attention, forget about where the ball's going. We already know where the ball's going to go. It's going out there in the middle. Um, what you want to do is really watch and see how they're transitioning themselves, and you'll, you'll actually notice, believe it or not, you'll see a slight pause at the top of their backswing. Um, Clint, I'm going to come to you on this one here. Uh, we've heard this expression, expression as well, and that is to sort of let the club be heavy, or you've heard it maybe more of the club head uh, feel heavy. And I think really what it's meant is, uh, as you touched on earlier, about getting that tension out of our swing so that we can actually feel the club head as it's swinging through uh, from uh, our backswing into the downswing and into our finish. Touch on that a little bit. How can we accomplish that? How can we feel the club a little bit more um, and get that tension out? What's a good uh, suggestion that you can give the, the folks listening? Yeah, but before I get into that, I want to add one thing to your and Jim's discussion about the, the pause for just a second and how effortless they look. What they should do, as you suggested, go see them. What they should do is, is find out where they're, they're staying and watch their fitness regimen every day. And there's a tremendous amount of effort that goes into their body in order that their swings look effortless. And that's one thing that our generation or my generation didn't quite get. Gary Player did, but not many mm-hmm. did. But all the players of the day get it. They're, they're, they're great athletes, and they, they take great pride in getting their body ready to, to maximize their, their swing. So the, to your question, is that um, it really does come down of awareness. I mean, I, I tell people, I said, look, you do know that part of the game is not to fling the club down the fairway. 
And always the answer is, oh, yeah, I know that. I said, well, you know, as your swing increases speed, you're automatically going to increase the tension in your hands to hold the club. It's just going to happen. Is I'll bet you you can't hit the ball and fling the club down the fairway at the same time. You just can't do it. And so I said, you know, so therefore you need to have as, as relaxed and easy of grip pressure as you can at address because you're signaling your brain that that's what you have to have to control it right now. So if you've got a real death grip on it, by the time you get down to the bottom of your backswing, I mean, you're, you, you've got the grip squeezing off of it. You've got it so tight. So that's just going to be a, a speed killer. And I was thumbing through some videos the other day, uh, and it was David Stockton and Ben Crenshaw was talking about Crenshaw's putting. And this was probably back in the late 70s, early 80s, maybe, when this video was made. And Stockton asked Ben Crenshaw what he felt in the grip. And he said he felt the grip with his fingers. He didn't feel it with his hands. And so I get to playing around with that. I said, you know, that may be a good idea for a person to try to feel the club in their fingers, feel the weight in there. You know, we feel things with our, our thumb and forefinger for texture. And so, therefore, I want to be able to feel that club. If a right-handed player, I want to feel the weight of the club in my right thumb and right forefinger. That's why I want to feel it. Can I feel the weight there? Or do I have it really tight and can't do anything? So I want them to feel, and I know there's a debate on how you grip the club, whether it be in the palm of the hand or in the fingers. We're not getting, you know, we can have another discussion about that. But as far as feeling the tension, just a simple drill is to try to hold the club in your fingers and feel the weight of the club in your thumbs and fingers, not in your hands. And if you can feel that weight in your fingers, then you're probably are at a pretty good point for grip pressure. But if you can't feel it, you need to back off the tension and the holding of it with your fingers until you can. And that will give you that baseline where you need to be as far as grip pressure is concerned. Yeah, and that's a great point. And, and I remember, Jim, uh, back earlier in the season, you touched on this a little bit as well, and you talked about how as the club is coming down, you're naturally, um, just through centrifugal force, the hands are actually going to grip a little bit tighter anyways, um, just out of a natural uh, motion. Maybe you could explain Absolutely. that again a little bit if you recall what, what we were talking about. That was something that you mentioned, and I think that's a really good way to explain it as well. If you want to just add that, uh, what you were explaining, uh, if you recall, um, a little while ago. Yeah, and, you know, as as we as we begin to make that change from the top to the, the to the start of the downswing, it's natural, as Clinton mentioned, to to add some pressure, uh, and and we do that regardless of the pressure that we have at the top. Meaning, if I start with a light amount of pressure in my grip and I make the backswing as I transition down, I add some pressure. If I start with firm pressure at the start and I go to the top, I will still, as I transition down, add more pressure. And so eventually Mm -hmm. we get so much pressure in our hands that the tension in our hands and arms essentially locks the arms to the shoulders and the torso, and you can't swing them. And the only way for us to move that club is for that torso to to be rotating through, and we lose speed because, let's face it, 
speed is in our arms. They move a lot faster than the rest of our body. The rest of our body does things to support the speed our arms are, are generating and to enhance the speed our arms are generating. But speed is in our arms. So they have to be tension-free, so we need to start light enough, and, and I agree with Clint. I've never seen, in 38 years of teaching golf, I've never seen a golf club come flying out of someone's hand unless it was wet, they're sweating, it's raining, or they intended for it to come out of their hand. Right. right. <laughs> Meaning they hurled it down the fairway. <laughs> yeah. Right, or, or into the closest yeah, into the closest pond or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, exactly. No, that, that yeah, and and I wanted I wanted you to to add that. To, I mean, essentially, Clint, I know you were saying the same thing. I wanted you to to mention yeah, that, that because that's something yeah. that a lot, yeah, a lot of people don't really understand that. And I re, I recall Jim mentioning that in an earlier coach's corner of the season, and I thought, you know, because there are a lot of we're, we're all guilty of it at times. You know, we we get you know set up over the ball, and we've got a a pretty good grip on there. And we forget that obviously through the natural motions of the body that things will naturally tense up a little bit. But if you've got, as you both mentioned, you've got that death grip to start with, and then now you're adding more tension on it, then again, as you point out, Jim, the only way you're going to be able to uh, complete that movement is you're going to now have to sort of thrust that body, uh, you know, turn into a certain position. But the, the again, that kind of throws everything off. It throws your sequencing off, uh, that tension and you, you just don't get the desired results that you want. And you have to, you, you want to be able to feel that club head um, as it's going through to finish. You want to be able to feel the weight of that uh, as it's going through. And when it makes contact, you know, what people don't realize, and as we talked about a moment ago with some of these other players, is their swings were so effortless. And yet they were able to generate a lot of speed and get great distance out of it. And you didn't see tension in their bodies. Um, so it, it, it makes you sometimes wonder when you see amateurs doing that and they just think that they've just got to, you know, get that grip so tight um, and that they've just got to, you know, thrust the swing uh, from, from start to finish in such a, 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 a hurricane matter, a manner, if you will, um, that they just, uh, they just don't seem to, to get it. But um, so I want to move on to the next one, Jim. I'm going to come back to you on this one here. And this is an area that um, uh, that I think gets overlooked as well, and that is um, the wrist position. Uh, have taken the, the wrist out. They don't understand. They've been told, well, you're too wristy and that, so they just sort of stiffen things up again. Talk about that a little bit if you wouldn't mind. And when you're asking the wrist position at impact or throughout the golf swing? Throughout the golf swing, just what, what role does the – I mean, obviously this, the wrists do play a role – uh, there is a time and a place when the wrist engage in proper hinging and that, and a lot of people don't understand the hinging of the wrist, when and how it works. So just talk about that. They've been sort of told that, well, the wrist play, for some players, get too much involved, and then others maybe not enough. So what role, if any, does the wrist actually play? Well, the wrist, uh, you know, they're attached to our arms, and as I said, the arms are speed, and they are a connection between the arms and the hands, and the hands are what is connected to the golf club. So they're transferring that speed from arms to the the hands to the golf club. And so we have to look as we as we make our backswing 
at a certain point in that backswing, and, and I'm not one to define at this many inches in the backswing relative to my hip, my hip, my wrist hinge, but as the body is rotating and the arms are swinging up, there is a natural progression to want those wrists to hinge to be able to support the golf club. And then as we get to the top, uh, depending on the player, you know, we see a Dustin Johnson or, or even a John Rahm where we feel that, that, that wrist is a little bit bowed. Uh, and then it could be the other way, like a Freddie Couples, where it's a little bit cupped. Uh, that's individual to the player, but they are, in all of them, flexed relative to the forearm with some hinge. And then as we're swinging down, that hinge has to uh, release itself. And we hear so much discussion of release the golf club. And and so those those wrists need to unhinge as we swing the club through the impact area. And then they need to hinge again. We can't just hold them firm and 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 locked because that in turn is going to reduce the speed at which we swing the club head. Uh, you know, we hear so often, oh, you need to hold this lag and, and, and keep your wrist hinged as long as possible and release that club as late as possible. Well, uh, I'm a fan of let's release it on time. And uh, on time for many players, especially those who tend to slice the golf ball, they're releasing it too late. So they need to release it a bit earlier. In fact, I uh, read a quote uh, not long ago from Mr. Jack Nicklaus, and, and he said, you cannot release the club too soon if the mm-hmm. other ingredients in your golf swing are correct. So uh, in the backswing, those wrists need to hinge. In the downswing, they need to, for lack of a better description, they need to unhinge. And as we go through the strike, they need to hinge again. And that's maximizing the speed of the arms through the wrist to the hands to the club head. Well said, Jim. Um, You you know, again, there are so many factors in the golf swing, and it sounds like a lot of information, but really a a lot of it is not something that you have to think about. It happens naturally. I think what what tends to happen with most golfers is they put so much thought into everything. They hear about the wrist. They hear about the backswing. They hear about all these different, uh, you know, making sure the shoulders work this way and make sure the arms are swinging that way. And they put so much thought and think about everything, but what they don't realize is the body can actually move naturally in all of these positions. And it's just really, I think they overemphasize certain components of it because when they're being taught, that's what they're hearing. They're saying, okay, I've got to do this with my wrists or I've got to do this with such and such. And so they end up focusing on that instead of just swinging the club naturally. The body is designed to move a certain way. Um, certainly for most, there may be a few exceptions as a result of injury or, or, or things like that, able to move the club naturally. And I think we just get in our own way. And uh, these are really points of reference just to, to help people understand the natural movement of the golf swing. And then it's just a matter of putting it all together. And it really happens in many cases, almost subconsciously, if it's done correctly. Um, Clint, I got one here. I know that this will be right in your wheelhouse. Um, Great points, Jim, by the way. Thank you. Uh, Chip shots are often referred to as sort of the miniature full swing. 
talk about how becoming a better chipper uh, is going to help you uh, in not only in your short game, but help tie into the long game uh, a little bit better as well. How is that going to help you in your long game? Well, I, I think that I don't take quite that approach to it. I mean, if we're up right around the edge of the green, we're going to call that chipping and maybe out 20 or 30 yards more pitching. Is that we're going to define that that way? Yep. Um, yep. I see, okay, I see the chipping aspect, you know, around, let's say, 5, 10 yards off the green is more of a mimic of your putting stroke versus the full swing. Now, we can extend to say the putting stroke is a miniature full swing, too, but there, we, we all know that there's some subtle differences there. So as far as chipping is concerned, I see it as an extension of the of more of the putting aspect of the game. Um, and if we're getting out when we're 25 or 30 yards off the green, then we're getting into some of the things we talked about very early in the show is about how we – get our body to move through the space correctly, and I think Jim brought up the point that I see a lot, is that when they get out in that 25 to 30 yard range, they think they have to lift it. They have to move the ball, you know, they got to do something to help it in the air, and in reality it's just the reverse of that. The club's designed to put it in the air, and one of the questions I ask people in putting is, why do you use a putter on the putting green? Well, they never have the answer so well, because it's designed to make the ball roll. You don't have to do anything special. So what I try to do is convince people that there's okay, you got an eight iron in your hand, you don't do anything special with the eight iron to make it go a certain distance, you make God contact with it and let your swing work, right? Same thing in the pitch shots. We want to set our body in a fashion that in in reality I try to get people to set their hips open enough that their left hip is almost at impact position. So we're not gonna have to worry about getting our body through. We're gonna set it up already through the shot. And then Jim brought up a point earlier about the length of the swing. Then we start developing on how far you want the ball to go. We do some benchmarking there to understand what certain length of swings do as far as carry distance with my 60 degree or 55, whatever they, they tend to want to use. So I really try to get folks to think about not worrying about the club head because we don't worry about the club head so much in the full swing. We're more concerned about how our body is setting, how we're lined up, how we're moving it through the space, and we tend to let the club follow uh, our body turn and body movement. So I want them to get the understanding that, hey, we're going to set the angle between the club head and my my, my lead arm, my left, if I'm right-hand player or left, I want the angle to be there. That club head needs to be set behind my left hand, and I'm going to swing the angle. I don't want to let the angle break down. I don't want the right hand to get in front of the left. Those are some of the same things we talk about in the full swing. We, we don't want to flip the club at the bottom. We want the left side leading and through and the right side delivering power. We don't want to get the hand in front of the left one. So we work on those basic ideas of impact. But in chipping, I want to let them get their body a little bit ahead of the downswing where they don't have to fight through. Uh, to make sure they can swing their shoulders and arms through without the angle breaking down. And then the further out we get, just the closer we let the hips come square to the line. And then once you're into a full swing pitching wedge, you're setting up like you would with, with any iron. You, you, you got everything set up square to the line that we talked about earlier, and we just want to make sure we swing that same angle through impact. So we can learn what that swinging the angle through the impact area along with Jim's releasing of the club uh, feels like 
in, in mimic form and much slower form, actually, because the club obviously in pitching is not moving near as fast as it will in the full swing. So we can feel those sensations of that angle not breaking down and the, the right side leading through the impact that we can equate into our full swing as well. Great job, Clint. Thank you. Um, and well said. Uh, Jim, this is going to be our last uh, question for this evening, and um, I'm going to frame it this way. Um, you know, Nicholas talked about how he had one swing, obviously not necessarily talking about the, the short uh, game like he did, uh, like Clint just pointed out, but essentially one swing and obviously um, several clubs in the bag um, were for distance and so forth. Um, a lot of people get confused with downhill and uphill lies. Um, do we need to change the swing, or is it a matter of maybe the setup needing to be changed in either case? And you can give one or both examples, whatever you feel. Um, or do we actually need to change the sing- swing as well? Is the swing the same essentially and just different circumstances and how we've uh, set up to the ball, uh, or do we also need to change the swing? What are your thoughts? The way I like to look at, at the hills, and, and, and I have a very easy way for us to determine how we set up to a hill uh, in, in the terminology. And so if I'm hitting on a slope, that I'm hitting up the slope, what I want to do is <clears throat> when we're standing on a level piece of ground and we get set up to that golf ball, our weight is fairly centered between our feet and our spine is almost perpendicular to the ground. It's not exactly because uh, our trail hand is a little bit lower on the golf club, so there's a slight tilt. Mm-hmm. But to, for the sake of the discussion, it makes it clear if we said our spine was perpendicular to the ground. So when I get on an uphill slope, I'm going to set myself where I place the golf club aim behind the golf ball, and the sole of the golf club is flat on the hill, just as it would be on a flat piece of ground, and so it's relative to the hill. So the loft of the club is working up the slope. I then would stand in the same location to that golf club relative to the handle in my body. So going back to a level piece of ground, if I had my club aimed properly and I stood, say, with my six iron and the handle pointed uh, an inch towards the target of my middle of my body. On that slope, I'm going to put the club aimed with the loft relative to the slope, just as it would be relative to level ground, and I stand where that handle points slightly left of my center. I would then place a little extra weight on my downhill foot. So as a right-handed golfer, that would be my right foot. And that would establish a position where my spine is now perpendicular to that slope. From that setup, I would swing my golf club relative to the slope the same as I would swing it relative to level ground. So that would mean I would have the sensation that I'm swinging a little more around me in the back swing, and I would be swinging upwards in the through swing so that that club was traveling along the slope. So to say it simply again, aim the club where the loft is 
relative to the slope, the same as level ground, stand to the handle of the golf club, wait on your downhill foot, and swing the shape of the slope. Now, that golf ball is going to want to go a little higher than normal because I have additional loft on my club, and I could play just about any club I wanted to on that situation. If I were my six-iron distance from the green, I might have to take my five-iron to play that shot. Going on the downslope, I can say it the same way. I take that golf club and I aim it where the loft of the club is relative to the slope. I stand where that handle is slightly to the left of my center, like we did on the level ground, which in essence has put the ball back in my stance. I put the weight on the downhill foot. Here it is my lead foot. And then I'm going to swing the shape of the slope. So in the slope, it's a little more upwards in the backswing and a little bit more low in the through swing, i.e., as we talked earlier, of the body rotating through. This would require plenty of body rotation through and get the, uh, the club to travel downward and along the slope. So saying them both the same way, I put weight on the downhill foot. I set the club relative to the slope, just as it would be relative to level ground. I set my spine perpendicular, and I swing the shape of the slope. On that downhill situation, I have less loft on my club, so I have to take the club with more loft, and I would be limited based on how uh, how steep that slope is. If I had a 7-iron and I didn't have enough loft to get it in the air, i got to go to an 8, 9, or maybe even a wedge. So I would be limited somewhat on my golf clubs there. So weight on the right. downhill foot, spine perpendicular, and swing the shape of the slope. Great analogy. I like the way you describe both of them equally uh, and giving people really a, a, a great visual cue to think about when they're setting up for either uh, shot. One of the things I think, in, uh, Jim, that we probably see a lot of people, and I like the fact that you emphasize about leveling out with the slope. Um, we often see a lot of people leaning into, whether it's uphill or downhill, sort of leaning into the slope, and that causes a myriad of problems. Obviously, in the uphill, you're now coming in, you're going to come in very steep into the ball because you're not really following the slope. You're actually uh, leaning into it. You're going to cause you to sort of pick up the club and come in steep into the back of the ball and likely going to chunk it. And obviously uh, the opposite, going down, again, if you're leaning back too much, then you're probably going to hit it thin or blade it, uh, whatever. Um, yeah. Those are typical problems that we probably see, correct? Absolutely. Uh, if we're trying to fight the hill, in other words, if I'm trying to level myself, my body, rather than setting my body relative to the hill, if I'm setting myself relative to the hill, I have a chance to swing the shape of the hill. If I'm trying to level my shoulders uh, out, then I'm going to start crashing into the ground uh, because I can't swing as much on, along the slope. It's, um, right. Uh, and you can use the same terminology for ball above and ball below. If, if mm -hmm. the ball were above my feet, uh, I now need a little more rotation in my golf swing. 
I can put the weight a little more to my heels in my in my setup, and that would establish a little more spine perpendicular to the slope. And then I swing the shape of the slope. So this would be the situation where I would swing much like a baseball swing, like we were talking earlier with the club above the ball. And conversely, when that ball is below my feet, I put my weight a little more towards my toes. That bends my posture over more. And that allows me to swing more up in the backswing and up in the through swing, which is essentially what the slope shape would be. So on all of the four hills, if you use the terminology, weight to the downhill part of your feet, that's your spine perpendicular to the slope, and swing your golf club the shape of the slope, you'll have success on all of them. Again, great uh Great steps and great analogy in describing each of the scenarios, and uh, I hope that will give people a little bit better understanding. Because I, I, again, I see a lot of people struggling with this, and 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 the reason why I really uh, am grateful that you you really sort of do, uh, you know dug in deep into this is this is a common thing that we're going to be faced with, unfortunately, in the golf course. Everybody you know practices on perfect lies, um, you know, on the on the practice tee. Um, but the truth is when you get out in the real course, uh, you're going to be faced with many or, or at some point maybe all of those scenarios, and you need to know how to set up and handle them properly because you're going to be able to strike the ball much better and get better results. So understanding how to use the slope and how to work the slope um, is going to make your game that much more sound. So, uh, guys, great discussion tonight. I enjoyed this. I think you guys really hit a lot of uh, the key points that I wanted to, to cover. And um, as always, I, I like to give you guys uh, an opportunity to uh, let the folks know if they want to reach out to you and if there's anything particular coming up in, in either of your uh, uh, businesses or, or your, your golfing careers that you want to plug, um, certainly give you the opportunity to do that. But uh, uh, Clint, I'll go with you first. If you want to let the folks know the best way sure. to reach out and if there's anything that you want to plug or, or point their direction to, by all means, and then Jim. Yeah, Ted, thanks again. And, Jim, it's been a joy being with you today. I learn about as much on these shows as the people listen, I think. I get a lot of great ideas from other guys I'm on the show with, and I certainly appreciate it. But um, I hope everybody has a safe holiday season. Uh, As far as plugging, uh, I don't have anything to plug, thank God. And uh, uh, (laughs) life is good right now in the Carolinas, and and, uh, we're looking forward to having a nice holiday season and a safe new year and, and uh, we'll be on the end of December to say that again, but uh, certainly enjoyed the show. And if people do want to reach out, they can send me an email at clintgoff001 at yahoo.com. I'll be more than happy to respond back to them. And uh, like I said, it's been a, been a good show. I enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Thank you always, Clint. And, Jim, uh, go ahead. Best way they can reach out. And if you've got anything that you would like to plug, uh, go ahead. Yes, I've, I've really enjoyed the show, and Quinn, always great to be on with you. Uh, they can reach me at uh, Jim at IndicottGolf.com, and or if you want to reach out by phone, uh, cell phone 407-460-9420. And if there's any uh, junior golfers out there and or parents who have juniors who are looking for an event uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's, uh, we're playing a wonderful facility in Orlando called Hawks Landing. It's uh, minutes from Disney, and we're playing on the 28th 
and 29th of December, and you can register there at uh, top50juniortour.com. Uh, we still have a few spots left, and that field will be a full field of about 100 players. Uh, so, Perfect. Uh, yes, and thanks again, Ted, for letting me uh, be a part of the show tonight. Not a problem. Thank you, Jim, as well, uh, for all of your input into the show, and Clint, of course. Uh, appreciate it, guys. And uh, uh, unfortunately, we're, we're winding down the season, but we all need a bit of a break and uh, need to enjoy some holiday cheer uh, with family and friends. So um, it'll be a well-deserved rest for everybody. You guys have done a great job, and I know you'll be coming back one more time before the season ends. So we'll talk again real soon. But thanks, guys. Have a great weekend as we uh, kick off tomorrow as the 1st of December. But thank you, as always, for your thoughts and input into the Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. Have a great weekend, guys. Yeah, good night. Take care now. All right, that was uh, uh, Jim Endicott and Clint Wright, uh, uh, guest panelists tonight on the Coach's Corner segment of Golf Talk Live. And as I mentioned, uh, there is no uh, guest. This time of year, obviously, uh, is a little more challenging to, to get uh, regular guests on the show. Uh, but we'll be working on the schedule for 2024. I'm excited about that. We're going to make some few changes to uh, to the format uh, for next season. I'm excited about that, and I'll tell you a little bit more uh, as as uh, we get ready to wrap up in a, in a couple more weeks uh, this season here for 2023. But it's been an interesting season. Uh, some regular folks came back this season, and also uh, some new guests this season, and hopefully some new ones uh, for next year as well, and a few uh, uh uh, fan favorites, but uh, again, uh, the shows are live, live every excuse me every Thursdays from six to eight p.m. Central uh, here in the BlogTalkRadio.com network. Best way to find us is go to BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live, or just go to the link and type in Golf Talk Live. And the shows uh, during the live broadcast are front and center. Um, but if for some reason if you're tuning in late tonight, or if you want to go back and listen to some of the previously aired shows, uh, you can do so by visiting again the link BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live and just scroll down the page till you hit the on-demand section, and all of the previously aired shows will be there in its entirety. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Um, hope you all had a great uh, Thanksgiving and are looking forward to uh, the upcoming holiday here in a few weeks. Everybody's getting ready, trying to get their shopping in and getting uh, their food organized and, and uh, travel uh, going and whatnot, but uh, still plenty of time to get a few uh, rounds of golf for most. And if for some reason, if you're up in the Northeast, and things are getting a little chilly and the golf is starting to wind down, or maybe it has in some cases, uh, and you don't have an indoor facility, another great way that you can tune into your game and really dial into some great tips is to, uh, if you're not already a subscriber, subscribe to Golf Tips Magazine uh, for not only yourself and maybe a buddy. Maybe it makes a great uh, stocking stuff or a great gift uh, for, for your partner uh, or one of your, uh, your buddies at work. Uh, go to golftipsmag.com, that's golftipsmag.com, and subscribe today. It's available in print and digital version, or you can get both. If you like to have both, maybe you like to have the uh, uh, hard copy, as it were, uh, at home, and maybe uh, have the digital version on the road. But either way, some great options there. Go to golftipsmag.com. On that note, thanks, everybody, for tuning in tonight's broadcast, and I will be back next Thursday right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.